Welcome back to Hit Subscribe, where we chat with key leaders in the e-commerce space to discuss the present and future state of commerce optimization. I'm your host, Kat, content marketing strategist at Recharge. On today's episode, we chat with a pretty familiar face in the Recharge world, Danny from Boxu, as we look back on what's changed since the last time he hopped on our podcast with Chase back in 2020, just as DTC brands were learning how to navigate the pandemic world. So I'm here with Danny from Boxu. You're actually a merchant that I've met probably the most in person. You were at CarJX and then the API event that you guys hosted on your event, which was exceptional, by the way. Actually, can you like briefly share a bit about that event for the listeners? Sure. So me and three other Asian badass consumer founder friends kind of have started organizing kind of Asian founder events. We have like twice a year Asian founder retreats. And just very recently, in the beginning of May, to kick off Asian Heritage Month, we had the first ever inaugural Asian Founders Summit that we somehow found time in addition to our full-time jobs <laughs> at our companies to be able to organize and bring together well over 100 founders, investors, partners, operators in the space in New York City for a, a day of networking, friendship making, good Asian food, of course, and panels and talks with some of the leaders in the space right now in D2C, retail, CPG, et cetera. And Recharge was a really, really wonderful sponsor and partner. And Kat came as well and hopefully had a good time and learned a lot. And we have video, Kat just like loading up her plate with food and snacks. So you did. Oh, wait, there's a video of that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to show it to you later. Oh, my God, embarrassing. Actually, that's not embarrassing. That's just how I am. No, that's, that's how you should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you've been doing a lot. It looks like I, I feel like I always see on LinkedIn, like you make a new post about ringing a bell and like being featured on like a TV show. You've been busy. Yeah. It's been very busy. Yeah. I've been doing a lot more like founder press and founder forward, like marketing. I mean, part of it, there's actually multiple reasons. If you want, I can dive into it later, but this is very intentional. It's not necessarily like it's just kind of happening to me. It's um, part of the strategy of growing Boxer's brand, my brand, elevating the whole like platform and everything. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's, a I think, a perfect segue into this part that was inspired by Danny, actually, in the previous attempt for us to record this episode and it not going well. He mentioned that he was on another recording where they like brought up some clips from a previous time that you spoke with them. And you actually came on our podcast. You were in our first season with Chase, I believe, back in 2020. And that was, I think, as a pandemic was happening, you were kind of several months after the pandemic had started. And so you were kind of going through all of that. So I'll actually play a clip because I'm curious about what has happened since then. We then just moved that excess inventory into what we call the box to market, which is our e-commerce shop where we now have about 200 SKUs permanently stocked and people can buy on demand from our e-commerce marketplace. Okay, so again, you have been super busy. So since the last podcast episode that you did with us, you had Boxu, Boxu Market, there's Boxu Boutique, you did a collaboration with Sario and Hello Kitty. What has changed? Can you give us an update on what kind of has happened in the last three years and how the Hello Kitty collab came to be and how that process was? Uh, a lot has definitely changed over the last three years. So this is a really good kind of question. And even hearing that, a good example is even at the time we called it Boxy Market, but we actually rebranded at that to Boxy Boutique, as you mentioned. So the whole Boxy ecosystem has grown quite a lot. 
And uh, we now have four almost like unique business lines that we run across two storefronts. The kind of first two that are still run that you know from back then in 2020 is our box of snack box, which is kind of our core business, our subscription, our backbone that we use recharge with. And that's still going really strong. And then number two, we rebranded not only in name, but also in concept. So what used to be called box to market is now box to boutique because now it's become more of a curated gifting marketplace where it's fewer like loose snack items and things and more like a like cat lovers box and like a Mother's Day bundle and things that people can now gift. And these are all Japan exclusive products, items, curations. And that's what makes it really special. And it ships directly from Japan and hence the kind of boutique branding. And then one of the other big reasons we branded that way is that we now have a third business that we launched just last year in 2022. It used to be called Box of Grocery. Now that's Box of Market. <laughs> so we, we uh-huh. wanted to call it Box of Market, but we, that name was taken by us. So now we've kind of like shifted our ecosystem a little bit because when you look at what's out there and Box of Market is essentially an Asian thrive market or an like online Asian grocery store, you know, everything's called Whole Foods Market, Thrive Market, Misfits Market. Nobody has to work grocery in their names. And so we wanted to be in line with them. Some of the, kind of brands that I look up to respect and that we're trying to become as well, kind of on the Asian flavor side. And so that's where we have Box and Market that's shelf stable and now also frozen, Asian snacks and groceries shipping nationwide in America. And that ships directly within domestic America from our, our own warehouse in New Jersey. That's another big change too, is that we do our own warehousing for Box to Market, which has been a game changer for that business. And then number four, as you mentioned, is this official <laughs> ongoing partnership and collaboration with Sanrio, who is the genius company behind Hello Kitty and all of our friends and all the different amazing characters and storytelling there is there. And that was a year-long negotiation, like kind of licensing deal, product building, and we just launched it in April officially. And so that's been a super exciting new expansion as well, because it's our first new subscription box since Box of Snackbox seven years ago. Because mm-hmm. these other two products are more like marketplaces, kind of e-commerce stores, but Hello Kitty and Friends slash Box of Snackbox is our first new expansion and customers are loving it. So we're getting really great reviews. So that's super exciting. We're going to really grow that as well. Yeah, it's super cute. I was looking at it the other day because I got the Boxu box, the AAPI event, and I like kept it so that my kids could try it because they love cool snacks and everything. And so I was showing them the website and they were like, we need to get this box. Well, Hello Kitty, everything. And we're obsessed, like me and my kids. And it sounds like, I mean, even in the beginning of this conversation, you were saying all of these events that you're doing and these appearances that you're making are all very like strategic. What is the driving force behind you? creating like all of these different outlets, like Boxu Market? For me, early on, I mean, one of the reasons I know Shopify Recharge in twenty late 2015, when I first got started, instead of like other potential competitors out there that was more just like a subscription box e-commerce, you know, like type of situation, was that I always wanted to expand beyond only subscription boxes or have multiple boxes or have ways to create a whole ecosystem, as I'm saying. Because... You never know what's going to happen if you only have one product, like the customer taste preferences might change or the economy changes or global shipping shuts down or many other things. Yeah. I mean, not that I predicted COVID or anything like that <laughs> would happen, but just that it's always safe to diversify your business, right? Just like how many people have been saying for a long time to diversify away from just Facebook ads, because if something happens in Facebook ads, 
D2C companies are basically screwed when they're 80% leveraged on Facebook. And that really did happen as well. What's one of the reasons we never fought a YouTube influencer marketing even way before any of the Facebook stuff went down. And that really helped us stay nimble and grow during rough periods in 2021 of iOS changes. Same for business lines. If we're only the stack subscription box and that only ships from Japan, I experienced it during COVID. I had a lot of shipping issues. That makes it really hard for me to grow the business when shipping is expensive and it's hard to acquire customers when I have to charge for shipping or you know stuff like that that might come up. And so uh, there's that piece as well as just what customers are looking for. A great example is right now, I don't think I'm alone in this, but a lot of people in the subscription box space are having a difficult time. I'm, I hear a lot from other founder friends that it's hard to acquire customers. Thankfully for us and hopefully for them too, we're not seeing an increase in churn. So our retention is still staying strong. It's about that new customer acquisition, whether it be a macroeconomic issue, whether it be a saturation issue, whether whatever it might be. But box to market is growing like crazy. So our like people are still looking for D2C. It's not like D2C is dead, as a lot of people are thinking. Like e-commerce is still rising year over year, but just what are people looking for? What are they excited for? And what we're finding right now is that box to market has like 700 SKUs. We're going to surpass the thousand SKUs probably within a few months. And it has more of these things that we consider bridge products. Lay's potato chips from Asia. So like a ribeye steak with black truffle flavor or a Tokyo teriyaki, you know, lace potato chips or like Japanese Doritos. Things like that are very exciting. Uh, they're delicious too. I'm, I love them as well. So like these bridge products that don't really make sense for us to put inside box with Snackbox, which is really its whole purpose and mission is to support these family businesses in Japan. Like mass produced items like that wouldn't work. But for box and market, it's perfect. And so we get that from like import wholesalers and it's Pan-Asian. So like, we don't have to just stick with Japan. We can get these awesome Asian snacks and products from all over the country. Also Korean instant noodles, Chinese condiments, all these different food types and flavors are rising very rapidly in America. And so this allows us to tackle and sell to and have different types of audiences across the spectrum, which we're really delighted by. Oh, that's really interesting. It's, so you're almost like creating your own acquisition channels, almost. It's like somebody can find your snacks that are like kind of the one-off Lay's chips, for example, but then they'll also be exposed to the Boxu brand overall. And then if they're interested in like trying a box, for example, or vice versa, like someone tries your box and then they're like, whoa, I love this. And I love Asian snacks. And they're like, let me go find these one-off snacks. You're kind of creating that ecosystem. That's exactly it. You just you go pitch to investors for me, Kat. That's exactly <laughs> what we're building. It's just like, where can we find the, the cheaper, more efficient customer acquisition because in general, all of our customers are people that are interested in Asian flavors or international flavors in general. And they don't necessarily only care about Japanese things. And so mm -hmm. what we're finding, and in fact, a lot of Americans and, and Westerners, it's hard for them to even differentiate between them. And that's not a bad thing. We're here to help bridge and educate too. And so we acquire them in boxing market, and then we can cross-sell them on the box or vice versa, or in boutique if they want to gift things to loved ones or for themselves. And so there's a lot of different ways we can get people excited. And same with Hello Kitty box, like the plan for that is to target the fandom of Hello Kitty, which yeah. is its own separate, unique, amazing community that now we can then cross sell them on all these other flavors too. And so it's about finding the best ways to speak to different audiences, but then bringing them into the box through family, you know, and all that. That's super cool. And that's really smart. And also that makes sense to, <laughs> to be able to diversify in that way. And also target that audience that loves Sanrio, Hello Kitty. It is like almost a nostalgic experience for a lot of the older generation. So you're kind of seeing 
acquisition for that generation? And then also like the newer folks who are finding access to your products through like social media, which also I will play something on that because that is kind of the next question that I had. So <laughs> sure. Everything you're saying is very like smoothly leading into the next thing. So I'm always like, wait, did he just answer the question of the background? <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to play it. We started contacting and working with YouTube creators. And we tried Instagram a little bit. It's, it's not really for us. I think our product really requires video and eating and tasting and talking. So we started contracting with kind of partnering with YouTube creators to have send them boxes. We have like a post-purchase attribution survey. And we were like seeing people write. TikTok and we're like, wait, what's going on? So you were kind of talking about how you were sending boxes to YouTubers, which you already mentioned also. Instagram wasn't really working out for you. You felt like it wasn't probably an effective method for your kind of product. And then also you started diving into TikTok because of like a viral video that somebody <clears throat> created that it kind of outperformed your ad team, et cetera. What has kind of changed or not changed in your marketing strategy in the last three years? Ooh. For Snackbox, for Snackbox subscription, YouTube influencer marketing was what like grew us like crazy in 2020 and 2021. For both of those years, we continued growing. We ended up like tripling our growth. And so it was pretty awesome, which then led me to be able to raise the Series A in 2021, which was also really amazing. And I, I really do credit a lot of that because we were one of the first in our space to enter into YouTube influencer marketing. Now we have copycat companies copying what we do, copying our strategy you know, whatever. At the time, because we were new, we were kind of all fresh audiences, super excited, working with the best YouTubers at good prices. And even when the iOS changes happened in mid-2021, because we were more, we were like 70% on YouTube, we weren't so impacted because retargeting doesn't matter when it's your followers on this channel. Having said that, in 2022 and beyond, the whole space got a little saturated. And I think with reopening after COVID, people weren't watching YouTube as much at home. And so it just like became a little less effective. So now we're a lot more picky about who we work with there. We also just, I think a lot of advertisers rush into the space as well as so the CPMs went up. But having said that, we then started looking at TikTok very heavily because of that, that exact thing that happened to us in 2020 and have to report that on an organic side for our brand, we had, I believe over well over 200,000 followers on TikTok, which is a very difficult thing to do for a brand. And so like, we like really researched and looked lean into strategy. Does that convert to sales though? That's much more difficult to pinpoint and attribute. I think mostly not, but it mm -hmm. is helpful to have that presence so that when we advertise or when we work with TikTokers or when we like, like can post things, there's a bit of an audience for that already. So at least we have that base. And it also depends on the product. What we're finding is the stack box may not work well at TikTok, but now we believe that Hello Kitty and box to market items may work well at TikTok because what we're finding is TikTok audiences are liking our products, but maybe the fandom isn't strong enough, or maybe it's just too expensive. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the comments are like, oh, the stack box is great, but it's too expensive for us because everybody's kind of young at TikTok. And yeah. so that's where Box and Market works out well because everything's priced very reasonably as if you're in an Asian grocery store and then as free shipping nationwide. And so now we can maybe use that to then gain audiences there. This is what I mean, not only in terms of different audiences that we can acquire, but also different channels we can use to acquire these audiences based on the product we have because has different price points, kind of unique selling points, things like that, that will capture different people. Yeah, that's cool. And I remember you guys talking about this at the AAPI event, which also I feel like I recounted that event so many times because it, like I gained a lot of insight and I had to like write 
my notes after so I wouldn't forget it everything. And then I memorized it. <laughs> so I just like remember everything that was said. And you mentioned that that as well, like how you really relied on your YouTube influencer strategy because they own their fan base. So they didn't really lose that with the changes in iOS security and Facebook ads, et cetera. It was really exactly. Cool. I was going to play another thing, but I'll just say what you said because it, it leads into the next question. But Chase had basically asked you what advice you would give to somebody in the startup phase, like the zero to a hundred to a thousand. And your advice, actually, I'll just play that one part. Play it. I would love to hear it. I don't remember. <laughs> this was your advice. The early phase, in my opinion, is like definitely don't spend anything on marketing. Still the same? Yeah, that, st- that definitely still the same. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, in terms of paid media, like don't be silly, especially now. It's even more true now mm-hmm. than before. Because in 2020, at least Facebook ads worked. You know, you could potentially create a viral ad that would go, you know, hit a lot of people up and get low CPAs. But now definitely don't spend unless it's efficient. But I would actually take it even a step further. Advice what I would give nowadays to people is like, what is this problem you're solving? What is this product you're creating, the service? And is it the right fit for D2C? Because what Mm -hmm. sells well in D2C now is totally different from what it was before. And this might change again in the future, but back then when it was really easy to acquire customers on a cheap basis, it was possible to have almost single skew companies where you're just selling like keto puffs, where you're just selling one thing and you sell that through your Shopify store and you just Facebook ads on it. Now, what I'm seeing out in the space, like that's really, really tough because Mm -hmm. you can't build that AOV high enough to make it worth shipping to make the CAC worth it because CAC is more expensive. Yeah. So like, and there's a lower chance of reorder because you only sell one thing. And so what does still work online is subscriptions. That is different. Is that like changes that makes it into more of a membership as well as like marketplaces. Cause then it's easier to build a basket, easier to hit the AOV and free shipping tiers, easier for customers to come back if you're releasing new products all the time. And that's like what is working in the space. But if you're just like selling once again, one thing, DTC is a really rough spot. Consider if like DTC just have it for brand building and then maybe sell it at retail, which is, you know, having a huge renaissance right now. And so there's many other ways and channels one can sell products still and, you know, be a merchant. But is this the right channel is what everybody needs to figure out before they just dive in and spend a lot of money. That's really good advice. I feel like that's come up a lot in conversations, even like in my conversations with Kristen, who you're, who you know, quite well, the balance between DTC and retail and when DTC is right and when retail is right, et cetera. So. That's really cool. I think to end off the conversation, I normally ask the people that I'm I'm talking to like more of a personal question. And this is somewhat related to what you just said, but what advice would you give 2020, Danny, knowing what you know now? Doesn't have to be even work related, but like what would if you could sit in front of Danny of November 2020 and be like, hey, in the next three years, like here's the advice I have for you, what would you tell yourself? So what probably top of mind for me is in 2020, I had like eight employees only, especially because when COVID first hit, I had to lay off like three-ish, four-ish people. And so Mm -hmm. that that was pretty significant at that time. We only had like 12. And then when we grew a lot and then I raised the Series A, we all of a sudden had to start rapidly hiring. And we ended up getting up as large as like 40-something people at one point last year or something, let's say, right? And... What I would definitely tell myself is get ready for the people issues. Get ready Mm -hmm. for all the things that come for as you scale a company. That stuff is real. 
and being able to deal with it well as a empathetic, but still strong. Cause the most important thing is managing your team's culture and your company and like not being too nice. If you're too nice and you don't lay off the person when you should, cause they're not performing anymore. It actually has, they can poison the well. There's a lot of negative side effects. Also, like if you hire the wrong people, sometimes that just happens, but you have to make that decision quickly to let them go. You can't mm-hmm. give too many people too many chances because they could end up doing a lot of damage to your company long-term. And that is a really hard lesson. A lot of founders don't learn. And thankfully I had good advisors, mentors, investors, like executive team have helped me through a lot of stuff and we're in a very strong position now, but there was some rough spots in the last few years about hiring and growing the team. And you eventually will need to go through that as you scale the company. That's tough. That's good advice. (laughs) I feel like that was a really great recap of everything that's kind of happened in the last little bit. I'm sure there's more. You guys are always innovating and doing a lot, especially you. So congrats. Honestly, congrats. Like it's always a pleasure talking to you and seeing kind of the things that you're focusing on and that you're worrying about, but also like excited about. So anyways, thank you for coming on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to speak with you, Kat, as well as the Recharge folks. You know, I love you guys. We want to thank Danny once more for joining us. You can find Boxu at boxu.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from and check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe for our latest episodes.